The following audio is from Steadfast Church in Asheville, North Carolina. We exist for maturing and multiplying disciples in Asheville and beyond for the glory of God. For more resources from Steadfast Church or to partner with us on mission, visit steadfastavl.org. Good morning, church. How are we? Man, I tell you what, every week, uh, and it's only been three, I know, but every week, y'all sound better, <laughs> you look better, and um, I, I want you to know how much I love you. It's incredible just to, to watch God at work here. I love you. Mm. Uh, if you're new around here, I love you too, uh, <laughs> even though I don't know you yet. Um, if, you are, if you're new around here and um, you want to be known, the easiest way to do that is the connect card that's in the back, uh, in the seat back in front of you there. You can just fill that out at any point during the gathering, and there's two black giving boxes in the back of the room. Uh, when you leave or when you get up for communion, you can drop it in there. The back side of that card is for prayer requests, and so if you have anything that we can pray for you about, we would love uh, to do that, so you can fill that card out, and um, if you need more space, get a second card, you know, it's okay, just put continued on the second one, and we'll know that it's still your prayer request, but um, God's been very kind to us, church, and um, I'm excited to see what the rest of this year and the years to come brings. Um, as I've mentioned before, we, we have launched into a new year just full of gratitude for what only the Lord could do among us. And uh, we're also launching in with great hope and great expectation for uh, what God will do for his glory and for our good, for the good of our city as well. And so we're in this series uh, called Groundwork. And really this this is functioning as the sort of inaugural membership class, if you will, uh, for Steadfast Church, as we've now become one church, Missio Day and Bent Creek coming together as Steadfast. And so uh, if you've missed either the last two weeks, I would encourage you to go back, watch or listen to those so that you can kind of catch up on where we've been. I will warn you, the quality of audio and video in those last two weeks was not great, and so you'll have to suffer through it, but I think we got it solved uh, now and going forward. Um, so today we're, we're coming to Acts chapter 1. So if you have a Bible, I would invite you to open up to Acts chapter 1. My aim in this series is simply to paint a picture of the kind of church that we believe Jesus is calling us to become by his grace uh, and for his glory. And so it's a six-week series. Week one, we looked very simply at the gospel, John three sixteen that Jesus befriends sinners like us, that Jesus would give himself for sinners like us, that we might be uh, redeemed and renewed and brought into God's family. And we respond to Jesus through worship. We devote our lives to him, that we, we put Jesus first and we love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Uh, last week, week two, we looked at family. And I don't mean your biological family, I mean the family of God. That Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us, which is going to take us further and deeper than we've ever gone before in relationship with one another. Again, by his grace and for his glory. Today we come to mission. Because Christianity 
is about more than just attending church services. It's about more than going to Bible studies or community groups. It's about more uh, than just gathering with the people of God. It's about going out as the people of God as well. Jesus does not let us stay self-focused. That's how all of us come into the church. (laughs) With needs, with problems that, that Jesus, by his grace, helps us fix and resolve but he doesn't let us stay self-focused. He turns our attention outward and he sends us out as his people. He gives us a purpose beyond ourselves. God's mission, quite simply, is to reconcile all things to himself through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And God uses his people, his church, as his plan A for that mission. And by the way, there is no plan B. And so we have a high calling to to demonstrate very tangibly, imperfectly, but tangibly, something of the kingdom of God to the world around us. And so I want to take us to Acts chapter 1, which is uh, in some ways the beginning of the New Testament church, in some words of Jesus. I'm going to focus on the second half of of this uh, section, but I want to start in verse 1 of Acts chapter 1 to give us context, and then we'll uh, read down to verse 11. I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. Uh, Guys, I'm getting a lot more echo than I did last week, so maybe if you bring the house down just a tad, that would be helpful. Okay, Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. When he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, what a gift, what a joy to be the church, to be gathered together as the people of God under the authority of your word and in the presence of your very Spirit. My simple prayer this morning, Holy Spirit, is that you would help us all to focus our hearts and minds on the scripture and that you would speak to us in our place of need, in our place of brokenness, in our place of um, refinement, in our place of, of disobedience, that you would do the work that only you can do in us and through us for your glory and for the good of ourselves and our community. Holy Spirit, help me to rightly divide this word that it might be of benefit to these people 
And we pray all of this in the beautiful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Now, um, as I said, we're going to focus on this sort of the second half of this passage, but um, I'll give you the first point here. You can write down if you're a note taker, and then we'll kind of step into it. The first thing I want you to see here is power, power, just quite simply power. Now, if you're new to the Christian story, let me, let me back up and give you context as to what has happened prior to the book of Acts, okay? Jesus is God incarnate. He took on flesh and blood. He fulfilled all of the uh, Old Testament messianic prophecies, the promises of a coming Messiah, a rescuer, a king. He became like us in flesh and in blood, uh, experiencing humanity, experiencing human life with all of its temptations, with all of its joys, with all of its sorrows, except Jesus did it perfectly. Like us in every way, except without sin, without failure, And so in that way, he becomes our substitute, both in his life and in his death. Jesus goes to the cross, and he there pays the debt that all of us owe for our folly, for our rebellion, for our desire to be our own authority, which is really the essence of what sin is. It's our desire to be our own authority, to call the balls and strikes in the game of life. That's All of us are born with that. All of us have that in us. And so Jesus goes to be our substitute in life, tempted in every way that we are, but without sin, and then going to the cross to pay the debt that we owe. The Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. That he became the embodiment of our sin and failure. And there at the cross, he took the right, just wrath of God against sin in our place. He absorbed the justice of God towards us and turned it into God's favor towards us. Jesus died in our place. He was buried, and on the third day, he rose again from the grave, conquering sin, death, and hell to any, for any, who would simply receive the finished work of Jesus with the empty hands of faith. And for those who would receive the finished work of Jesus, they are forgiven of all sin, past, present, and future, reconciled to God, adopted into his family, called the sons and daughters of the Most High God, and covered in the righteousness of God himself. That's good news. (laughs) And now, the risen Christ And the book of Acts appears over this 40-day period, which we read about in the first few verses. And the disciples are saying, okay, Jesus came, he died, he rose, which we didn't expect, even though he told us. And now what's next? What's next? What's Jesus going to do next? And you see in verse 6 here that that they say to him, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? See, they had this expectation, a false expectation, that the Messiah would be a political king and that he would come and that he would overthrow the Roman government and reestablish the nation state of Israel as a world power. And so they see Jesus die and rise again and they go, this is it. This is our moment. You're going to do it, Jesus? Are you going to now establish the kingdom? And Jesus says, guys, you're thinking too narrowly. It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You're you're thinking too small. You're, You're thinking about worldly things, worldly kingdoms. 
says, my vision, my mission is not just for one nation state. My mission is for the whole globe. We're going worldwide with this thing. And so Jesus says, hey, listen, the first step in, in reaching the world with this new kingdom is for you guys just to sit tight and wait. <laughs> and they had to be going, wait, what? We've been waiting for this forever. You want us to just sit and wait? And Jesus knows that the mission he is calling them to, and, and by translation, because we are in that family line, the mission he calls us to is so big that we are going to need a power that, that is not our own in order to accomplish it. How many of you know that when the demands on you are greater than the power within you, you flame out? Yeah? And what most of us do is we just put our head down and we dig and we dig and we work harder and try harder and work smarter and all that stuff and we burn out. But Jesus says, no, 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 you need to wait for a power that's not your own. You need to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit to come and, and, and fill you so that it's God's power at work through you, not your own measly human power. I have good news for us. Jesus' life, Jesus' power are not just for us to examine in the scriptures. They're actually for us to experience. Luke is very clear about that in Luke's gospel. Now, Jesus is fully God and fully man. And there are times in the scriptures when you, when you read them that you see Jesus um, exercising his divinity. Okay, so he's in the boat and there's water and waves and he just says, still. And the water stops and it's still. Okay, that's a God thing. That's a divine attribute. He's, he speaks to creation, right? He's able to do those kinds of things. He's able to heal people and, and restore their physical bodies, their physical strength. He's able to raise the dead. He's able to do those kind of things. And that is him exercising his divinity. But there's a lot of the ministry that Jesus did that wasn't because he was divine. It's because he was human and dependent on the Holy Spirit of God. And Luke explains to us that Jesus walked by the Spirit and he prayed to the Spirit and he was filled with the Spirit and he ministered in the Spirit. And that's how Jesus did a lot of what he did was by the power of the Spirit. Well, guess what, church? The scriptures tell us that the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead dwells in you. And Holy Spirit power never runs low. He is an expert at showing up when we are well over our heads. He is an ever-present help in times of trouble. He is the strength in our weakness. He leads us into all truth. He empowers our lives. He empowers our ministries. He gives us words. The scripture says, don't worry about what you will say because I will give you words. The Holy Spirit will give you words. And the Holy Spirit is promised to everyone who surrenders their lives to Jesus. But there are many of us who do not live out of the power that is promised to us in the Holy Spirit. Many of us find ourselves powerless to fight against our own sin and temptation. Some of us find ourselves powerless to, um, to share the hope of Christ that is in us with others. We're, we're powerless to step out in courage and do things that seem a little crazy, right? 
But we feel this sense that we need to obey the Lord, and yet we feel weak, and we feel like we don't have courage. Why does that happen? I think it's because we do not ask for the Spirit's power and because we do not expect the Spirit's power. And I say that because in Galatians chapter 5, Paul writing to the church at Galatia says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So it's the Spirit that gives us life, and he says it's also the Spirit that you walk in, which means, I think, it means that it's possible to have the presence of God's Spirit in you. You are a regenerated believer in Christ, and yet not experience the power of the Spirit because you are not asking the Holy Spirit for help and you are not expecting him to show up and help you in a time of need. Does that make sense? Okay, church, let us not be like that. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives inside of you, why are we, it's like we're in a, you know when you go to a foreign country and you have like the wrong plug and you're just like, I don't, how to, right? We're, We're sitting there with Holy Spirit power and we're just like, I don't know how to plug it in. Ask him. I think it's in Luke's gospel. Uh, Jesus is, is speaking to his disciples and he says, um, uh, if, if a father, if a child asks for bread, you're not going to give him a snake, you know? Like who would do that? No one, I hope, right? Your kid asks you for like goldfish crackers and you're like, here's a serpent, you know? Like you wouldn't, <laughs> you wouldn't do that. And he says, if you who are evil know how to give gifts, Give to, how, if you who are, let's try the, let's back up. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit? You might think, what does this have to do with mission? I'm getting there. Um, this power is not just for our own personal development. It is for our sanctification. The Holy Spirit leads us into all truth. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and refines us. And those things are good and glorious. And we need to lean into the Spirit for those things. But the Holy Spirit also empowers us for a divine purpose. As we'll see here in the rest of the text. Are you walking in the Spirit's power? If not, why not? It could be that you don't ask or expect it. It could be because you're not actually a Christian. I'm not indicting you. I, I don't know. That's something you've got to determine between you and the Lord. So let's look here. You guys with me so far? Let's look at the, the purpose. This is so power. That's verse, uh, sorry, the first point. Sort of verse 6 there, verse 6 and 7. Look at um, verses 8 and 9. I want you to see the purpose to which we're called, the, the purpose. We see power and we see purpose. Um, it's all P's today. Alliteration is my friend. <laughs> Verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. Interesting. You will receive power and you will be my witnesses. You know, um, at Missio Day, we did a, almost a year-long study in the book of Acts. 
And uh, in the book of Acts, 39 times the word witness or witnesses is mentioned. Okay, Jesus commissions his disciples out. And uh, Jesus even says, I think it's in the Gospel of John, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And you have to know that the disciples, these uh, 11 or 12 here uh, listening to Jesus, they are not, I guess it would be 11 at this point, they haven't uh, gotten the 12th one yet. They're not the SEAL team of Christianity. I mean, if we're honest, they're more like the B team. Okay, a friend of mine calls the, the early disciples spiritual doofuses. <laughs> Just like us. It's pretty comforting, actually, when you look at all of the flubs and failures and mistakes that the early believers made, and yet you and I are sitting here today because of their ministry. Right, like if we could go back, I don't know who led you to faith. I don't know if it was a family member, a friend, a wanna leader, Sunday school you know, some sort of revival, just a friend over a cup of coffee or whatever. Um, but if, you, if we had like a spiritual ancestry.com and we could just like trace it back, you know, you, you would find it would go all the way back to these 11. These 11 spiritual doofuses were used by God in such a way that 2,000 years later, you are sitting here in this room either as a follower of Jesus or a soon-to-be follower of Jesus. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? It's incredible. So, so these early Christians were just everyday, ordinary people like you and me. Saved by Jesus like you and me. Sent by Jesus like you and me. Which means that everyone who belongs to Jesus has the same mandate. In Matthew 28, Jesus said, go. And that's for all of us. Go. The question is, are we going to be faithful to that mandate? Now, this can feel like pressure though, right? That we are, we're, we're called to be witnesses. And some of us, depending on the tradition that you grew up in, maybe start to feel guilt about that. I grew up in a tradition where uh, every, I think it was Tuesday night, you know, the, the many people in the church went out witnessing, knocking on doors, and asking people if they were to die tonight, if they knew that they would go to heaven. And I'm not, I don't think that that's a bad thing necessarily. I think it lacks the uh, impact that it used to have. Because you're, people don't want you coming to their door anymore, right? Somebody knocks on my door at 6.30 p.m., we might be locking and loading. You know what I'm saying? Some of us feel like I'm supposed to be witnessing or I need to be witnessing more as if Christianity is this awkward, spiritual, multi-level, multi-level marketing pitch. It's not supposed to feel like pressure. Here in Acts, uh, you don't see it in the, original lang- or in the English, but in the original language, the verse passive, which means this, um, This isn't so much a command from Jesus as much as an inevitability in Jesus. You will receive power from the Holy Spirit and you will be my witnesses. It's just going to happen. If you belong to me, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. Now think about that for a second. What is a witness? At the essence of it, what is a witness? Class? Somebody who saw something, (laughs) somebody who experienced something. 
And we all witness to things all the time, don't we? Anytime that you've come up to someone and said, hey, have you seen that show? Oh, this show's amazing, right? And Oh, is it on Netflix or Peacock or Hulu or Amazon Prime or <laughs> HBO Max? I don't know. It's too many, okay? But you go, oh, have you, let me recommend this show to you. Let me tell you about it because it's amazing and you should watch it. Or uh, maybe a, a, a band. Have you heard their latest album? You need to go check it out. It's so good. Or a movie. Oh, have you seen that movie? Go watch that movie. A restaurant, right? Have you been to that new restaurant? It's amazing. You should go check it out. Does that feel like pressure? Do you ever feel like, man, I got to get this pitch right. They have got to go visit that restaurant because if they don't, right? Like you don't. Oh, if they don't watch that movie, I guess. Right? It's like, and listen, all that stuff at the end of the day doesn't even matter. And yet it's so natural for us to recommend, to evangelize about things we feel passionately about, isn't it? So all of us bear witness to stuff. All of us evangelize. Now, here in the text, it doesn't say that we're going to become evangelists. It doesn't say we're even going to be extroverted or outgoing. <laughs> but we will be witnesses because we will share what we love with those we do, whom we love. We share what we love with the people we love. That's what witnessing is all about. And there's really only three qualifications at the end of the day. Number one, you got to be alive. Check. Okay. Okay. Uh, number two, you have to have a mouth. Check. Okay. Number three, you got to know the gospel. And even if the details of the gospel are kind of fuzzy, right? Like you know that you believe in Jesus, but you can't really feel like you can explain the whole gospel story. Uh, you can do this, can't you? I was blind and now I see. That's what happens in John chapter 9. The blind man gets healed, and the religious people come to him. They go, what happened to you? He goes, I don't know, but I was blind, and now I see. And they're like, yeah, 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 but what happened? He goes, <clears throat> I was blind, and now I see. All right? And they just keep pressing him. He's like, look, guys, all I know is I was blind, and I can see. It sounds like you might want in on this thing. Or how about the woman at the well? She interacts with Jesus she goes back to her town, and then she, in the town, what does she say? Come and see a man who's told me everything I've ever done. Okay? There's no, like, steps to, to peace with Christ in there. There's no, like, well, creation, fall, rid. She goes, come and see. It's that simple. It's that simple. So sharing our faith is vital. Any of us who belong to Jesus and who love Jesus... I hate to use the word ought in church, but ought to be sharing Jesus, right? It, it, it should naturally flow from our mouths and our lives because we love him and we love other people and we want other people to love him too. However, that is not the only way that we bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom. And so I want, I want to give you a little bit of freedom here. Um, in Luke chapter 10, do you remember Jesus commissions the 72 Okay? These are just everyday, ordinary people like you and me. They're not even the apostles. They're just other disciples. And he sends them out to do two things. You remember what they are? To heal and to proclaim. To heal and to proclaim. Now, uh, in Luke, it's clear that God did uniquely empower them to bring to, to 
in the Spirit's power, physically heal people. But a little bit later on in the same chapter, Luke chapter 10, we, hear, we see the story of the Good Samaritan. And what happens with the Good Samaritan? He's walking down the road. He sees a man who is injured. And what does he do? He heals him. Not supernaturally, by the way. He put, picks him up, bandages up his wounds, puts him on his horse, takes him to an inn. They care for him. He pays the bill. Guess what? That's not a miraculous supernatural healing, but there's a whole lot of Jesus in that. Healing is holistic. It's about repairing the brokenness in, in people's lives, in society. And it takes eyes to see the problems and the needs around us. It takes hearts to feel compassion for the problems in the world and, and those um, issues that, that are devastating to people. right? And then it takes a will to actually go and do something about it. And this is for every one of us, okay? Um, now, we partner with, Steadfast Church partners with a lot of organizations in our city and around the world who uh, are, um, whose mission is to heal broken places, okay? I mean, whether that's foster care, whether that's um, poverty, whether that is uh, in third world countries like learning trades and, and getting vocational skills, whether that's uh, homelessness, whether that is... Um, uh, uh, pregnancy support, like we, we partner with a lot of those organizations. I'd encourage you to find more information about that to get involved. But I want you to hear this clearly, and I'm saying this with all the love I have in my heart towards you. It is not the job of the pastors or the church to program mission for you. Now, occasionally we'll do that. Occasionally we'll say, hey, there's this opportunity to do this, and you should go get involved with that. It is our job primarily to equip you, the saints, for the work of ministry. That's Ephesians 4. So our job is to help you see what, what it means to put on the missionary mindset, what it means to feel something for people when you see their needs and to actually have the courage to go do it. And it is your job, beloved. It is your job to listen to the Spirit where he's calling you to get involved and to obey him. Now, if a church is not willing to meet the material needs of people, why would they ever listen to our message? But conversely, if a church is unwilling to share the gospel, are we even meeting people at their deepest place of need? And I say that because we talked about this a few weeks ago. In Mark chapter 2, you remember the paralytic who gets lowered down into the home? And Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. Bless you. And he goes, uh, thanks, but I'm, remember I'm still paralyzed? Like not my greatest need. And Jesus is like, actually it is. Your greatest need is to be forgiven, and you are now. And also, I'll, I'll heal you. So, so we, we, should, we want to be, I'll stop using should and ought. We want to be, by God's grace, a church who meets physical, material needs in our community and around the world because they matter to people for their health and vitality. We also want to be a church who ferociously proclaims the truth of the gospel in love so that people might be saved that they might be forgiven of their sin. Now, some people will receive that good news. Some people will reject that good news. Our responsibility, our job, church, is simply to bear witness. It's simply to bear witness. Good so far? One last thing. Look at verses 10 and 11. I want you to see progress. We've seen power. 
We've seen purpose. Now I want you to see progress. Verses 10 and 11. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, so remember Jesus is ascending into heaven. While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why are you standing there? That's my paraphrase. Why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way you saw him go into heaven. I love this line. I I just imagine this scene. I don't know if you ever do that when you read the scripture, just sort of put yourself in the scene and imagine what it's like. And so Jesus is speaking to them and he ascends and they're just all looking up into the sky like a kid who lost their balloon, you know? (laughs) And then these angels show up and they go, what are you looking at? (laughs) Why are you just standing there? Jesus gave you a mission, go get after it. He's gone. He ascended, he has left, he will return again. And beloved, that's a promise we we can hold on to. He will return. He will return to judge the living and the dead. He will return to make all things new. But that means there's a time. We don't have forever. We have a finite amount of time to serve the Lord and to be on mission for him. He has left. He will return. And in the meantime, there are people to love. There are needs to meet. There is good news to share. So what on earth are we waiting for? Um, It's also in Luke 10. Maybe I should have just preached Luke 10. Um, It's also in Luke 10 where, and there's a few other places in the scriptures uh, where Jesus is quoted as saying this, but he says, um, the harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. So pray to the Lord of the harvest. You know what he prays for though? He doesn't actually pray for more laborers. He doesn't say the harvest is plentiful, the laborers are few, so pray that God brings more and more more people to be laborers. He just says pray for laborers, that they would actually labor. Because here's the trap we fall into as believers. I think uh, statistically within three years of coming to faith, you lose almost all your non-Christian friends. And we get busy with Bible studies and groups and programs and services and those kinds of things. And those aren't bad or wrong, but it starts to insulate and isolate us from the rest of the world. And then without knowing it, we become little Christian ghettos. And we gather with our people. And I mean, at their worst, sometimes churches become these like sort of holy huddles And every once in a while, we'll like throw a gospel grenade over the fence and see if it does anything. But we're not going out there because the world is scary and bad and dark. And we kind of treat the world like a public restroom. Get in, get out, don't touch anything. (laughs) And listen, I don't think Jesus is pleased with that. Aren't, Aren't you glad Jesus did not come unwilling to roll up his sleeves and get his hands dirty. The harvest is plentiful. There are more people who are willing to respond to the gospel than there are people willing to share it. So Jesus' prayer, he says to pray that the laborers would labor. So will we? And listen, I know, okay, Some of us might be thinking to ourselves, okay, look, man, I got 
a bunch of little kids at home. I can, I'm not out in the world other than the grocery store. And have you ever tried to wrangle four kids while you're at the grocery store? I'd rather stick a fork in my eye socket, right? Like, <laughs> and then others of you are saying like, hey, I'm, I'm in my later years of life. I'm not really as active as I used to be. Like, I don't know how to do that. So, so here's my ask. Will you at least pray? Will you at, re- at least pray that the, that the laborers who can labor will labor and that we will reap the harvest of those who are ready to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Our collective witness as a church can be a strong apologetic for the reality of Christ and the kingdom of God. And our lack of collective witness as a church can also be an indictment of our hypocrisy. And which one people see is up to us. So may we be just everyday people worshiping Jesus as a family on mission. In that order. In that order. See, it has to be that way. Jesus first, then family, then mission. If, if we get it backwards, if we put family first, we will become ingrown and insulated. If we put mission first, we will become burnt out and wearied. It's only when we put Jesus first, and then um, in Galatians, Paul says, uh, do good to everybody, but, but first the household of faith. So we, Jesus, and then family, one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. A- and then the love that we experience in here, we take out into the world in our everyday, individual, ordinary lives. Sometimes we go in groups, collectively, two by two, community group at a time. Sometimes it's just you at your workplace, doing a good job, loving people well, trying to meet needs around you, and if you have opportunity, opening your mouth about Jesus. So let's be people who worship Jesus. We put him first. We love the Lord with all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength. We are a family. We, are, we, we experience and express a peculiar kind of love and commitment to one another that makes the watching world go, you must belong to Jesus. Because ain't nobody out here love people like that. And then we join the mission of God. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit and we are sent by him into the world seeking places of brokenness where we can participate in healing. proclaiming as we go the good news that Jesus came to save sinners of whom we are the foremost. And do you know how he sends us? Remember how he said, as the Father sent me, so I send you? How does he send us? Well, how did he send Jesus? Did he send Jesus in pomp and circumstance or in weakness? Weakness. Obscurity commonness. You remember when they came to arrest Jesus, they didn't even know which one he was because he looked like everybody else. Hmm. That's how he sends us, in weakness, in obscurity, in commonness, so that as God empowers us and people's lives are changed and, and healing comes and salvation comes, we can say, this is a work only God could do. This wasn't us. We get to play a part in it. And listen, 
We're not good at it. And neither were they. We're all just a bunch of spiritual doofuses. <laughs> trying our best to rely on the Holy Spirit and to do the next right thing. And it's in that posture that God's power gets unleashed. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and what do he say? To the end of the earth. Guess what? You and I are end of the earth kind of people. And we display, when God's power gets unleashed, we display imperfectly but tangibly something of the kingdom of God which Jesus says has come near. So if you and I have the spirit of God, if we've been empowered, if we've been commissioned, what on earth are we waiting for? You got him. He's in you. He's strengthening you. He's empowering you. So let's get after it for the glory of God and for the good of our city. Amen? All right. I've got three questions I want to put up on the screen for you, and then we will move into our time of response. First question is this. What keeps me from experiencing the power of God's spirit in my daily life and ministry? So, as I said, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed the presence of God's spirit within you, but not all of us are accessing his presence and experiencing his power. So, it may be that as a believer, you are not expecting, you're not asking for the power of God's spirit. So, this is one of those things where in daily life, you wake up in the morning and you go, Holy Spirit, I need your strength and your power to get through this day. Right? When you're in a conversation, you just silently pray, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Right? It says it's a daily dependence on the Spirit. Some of you might be realizing, um, I don't have the power of the Spirit because I don't belong to Jesus. And, and that's not an indictment. It's just a reality. And guess what? Today can be the day of salvation. Today you can enter the kingdom of God and be sealed with his Spirit. All you do is receive the finished work of Christ with the empty hands of faith. You say, Jesus... I believe that you are who you say you are. You lived and died and rose again. I'm a sinner who needs a savior and you are that savior. Please save me. It's that simple. So what keeps me from experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in daily life and ministry? Second question. How might the Lord be calling me to personally participate in his mission? We all have different gifts, different abilities, different strengths, different relationships. We all have different passions. Some of you might be really pulled towards, uh, I don't know, for instance, like jail ministry or something. Hopefully from the outside, not the inside. But uh, so, some of you might have a, a, a pull towards uh, homelessness or, you know, single moms or what, you know, I don't know what it is for you. But there, there may be a specific sort of niche area that the Lord is calling you to invest your life in. But how, how might the Lord, for some of you, let me give you freedom. You're raising a bunch of little kids at home. Your primary mission field is your family. Rest. Okay, that might be the hardest mission field because <laughs> you're with them all the time and they see all your faults and failures and flubs, but what a beautiful opportunity to explain Jesus doesn't accept us because we get it right, but because he's gracious. So how might the Lord be calling me to personally participate in his mission? Again, some of you might just be called to pray. And you got a lot of time, and, uh, and you can get after it in prayer and be lifting up the laborers here that, that we would labor. And then finally, last question, what is one 
action step that I can take this week to bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom. The angel said, what are you staring at? In other words, get after it. What's one action step? What's one thing I can do this week? Is it a prayer? Is it a conversation? Right? I mean, I don't know what it is for you. Is it checking out the mission opportunities that we have here at the church? What's one action step I can take this week to bear witness to the reality of Christ and his kingdom? And this is for all of us. Okay? Every single one of us. All right, let me pray, and then I will give you some instructions for our time of response. Father, thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the opportunity to gather as a people in this room. I thank you for what you are doing here as you uh, have been so gracious to us to gather us as a people. And uh, I know right now we have a lot of new people joining us and checking us out as well. And so I just pray that you would make it very clear to all of us um, that this is the family to whom you are calling us to belong. Uh, that you would strengthen us by your spirit, that you would prepare us to, uh, to be a people who love you with all that we have, who love one another as you have loved us, and to love our neighbors ourselves, to love others in this community and in this world, and to, to be on mission with you. Help us see what that means and what that looks like to join you on your mission. So, Lord, just be um, gracious to us now as we respond. I pray that if there's anyone in this room who does not know you as Savior and Lord, that today would be the day of salvation, that they could even just in their seat privately pray and ask you uh, to become the Lord of their life. As we respond in communion and giving and in worship, be honored and glorified and fill us with joy in your presence. And we pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and by the power of your spirit we pray. Amen.